0: Ah!
1: Welcome, weary travelers, to the great big universe of XS. No,
0: you may not get out. You're a lucky volunteer.
1: How would you like to travel anywhere anytime at the touch of a button? Science fiction? No.
0: Be wondering how excess tech can help you seize the future. Well, wonder no more. Here to show you
1: how is our most advanced cyberbotic performance unit to date. WDW w- w- Radio, your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is episode number 363 for the week of May 25th, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts every Wednesday night, my special events, trivia books, audio tours, and more. You can find that and more, including my brand new book, 102 ways to save money for and at Walt Disney World all over at wdwradio.com. This week, join me as we take a trip aboard my Wayback Machine and visit one of Walt Disney World's scariest attractions, the extraterrestrial alien encounter in Tomorrowland. This theater-in-the-round attraction lasted less than a decade but made an impact due to its fear factor, celebrity cast, and sophisticated plotline. In this DSI Disney scene investigation, we'll explore the history of the attraction and go through it scene by scene, and then discuss its changes, tributes, and ultimate demise. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned as I'll have some announcements and updates, including information about upcoming Meets of the Month in and out of Walt Disney World. So sit back, Relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. My dear friends, you just witnessed a small sample of the awesome power of XS teleportation. But wait, there's much more. Imagine if the trip would not be the whip of this world. When Mission to Mars ended its 18-year run of flights to the Red Planet in October 1993, many thought our chances for interstellar travel from the Tomorrowland spaceport might be over. But in December 1994, the Tomorrowland Interplanetary Convention Center opened and a new attraction was born. It was something that was years in development and would change even before it officially opened. But thanks to the technology and mission of XS tech, the extraterrestrial alien encounter was eventually born. So this week, we're going to take a trip way back and do a DSI Disney scene investigation on what many consider to be the scariest attraction ever in Walt Disney World. And joining me who is a man like Chairman Clench believes that If something can't be done with excess, then it shouldn't be done at all. He is Daniel Roberts, and you may remember him from such shows as Top Ten, whatever's that we did with Tim Foster. (laughs) So, Daniel, welcome back.
0: Thank you, Lou. I uh, this is my fourth appearance, and last time I compared myself, I was the Joan Rivers to Johnny Carson, but I think I'm moving up. I could be a Leno. (laughs) <laughs> I could be a Kimmel, I don't know, but I'm I'm excited to be here. I love this ride, and I love um, how polarizing it is that people have such strong opinions about it, yay or nay, uh, pending you know who they are and uh, what they experienced while they were riding it.
1: Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit. And I like the fact that I hear Skippy in the background, which is nice. <laughs> it's a nice uh, it's a nice touch yeah. of ambient audience. So I'm going to start off by asking you. To simply describe alien encounter in one word.
0: Uh, frightening. Okay. Right. Actually, could I have a second word? I'll let, <laughs> I'll let Tim Foster. Was Exactly. You know what? It wasn't that frightening. It was um, uh, it was captivating.
1: Interesting, interesting use of word. Okay. I think frightening or scary or captivating, polarizing, could certainly be a, a word that you could use. As well, uh, unique is another one that uh, that might fit the bill. But and we'll sort of get into that a little bit. But let's sort of go back uh, a little bit and and talk about the genesis of the attraction because this really, you know, the idea for what was going to replace uh, Mission to Mars really goes back to like 1987 and obviously before that because at when they did the opening day press conference for Star Tours in January 87. George Lucas and then CEO Michael Eisner talked about the plans to replace Mission to Mars and Tomorrowland with a as-then-yet-unspecified science fiction-based attraction, right? Mission to Mars was was certainly starting to show its dating, um, you know, as Flight to the Moon did and Mission to Mars did pretty much the day that it opened. And uh, according to rumor and legend, Disney originally wanted that, you know, futuristic attraction to be based on a movie franchise, which was one that was not owned by Disney, and it was Alien, like the Sigourney Weaver, Nostromo, the thing that you talk about something that was scary and freaked people out, and I'm, and I'm making the hand coming out of my belly motion. as like that's the universal symbol for Alien.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Lou, stop that. <laughs> stop doing that. That's just it's weird. Wasn't, though, Lou, wasn't the ride originally supposed to be called Nostromo?
1: It was, which was, which, which was the reference to the spacecraft from the film, right. which, you know, remember, that film had come out in 1979-ish or so, but, the you know, the thing that was interesting about that, Daniel, was, you know, that, you you talk about an attraction that was potentially frightening. I mean, that was a scary, scary monster, and they were going to sort of... Tie it not necessarily directly into the franchise, but you know I think part of the reason why maybe it was was scrapped was one that it might have been too scary. Um, You know it was an, an uh, it was an R rated film which went very much against what you know, Disney was having in their theme park, certainly in the Magic Kingdom. Like, that was the thing. It didn't seem like something that would fit in the Magic Kingdom. And I'm sure there was probably issues in terms of rights and licensing and things like that. So Disney's like, fine, you know what? We'll just get Nostromo out of there and we'll make our own monster and and add him to the excess tech backstory.
0: Yeah, and then, I mean, you see the alien in the the great big movie ride too, don't you?
1: You do, and even there, and I know as, as a parent... Like, my kids got freaked out by the alien. They're like, oh, it's so cute, and there's munchkins, and, and the other munchkins, not just the one sitting next to them, but there's the munchkins, and there's, you know, Footlight Parade, and then this alien comes out of the ceiling and out of the, out of the wall. That's a scary, you know, it is not a cute and cuddly kind of alien by any stretch of the imagination.
0: No, and not at all. And the two were, um, the two rides, the uh, alien encounter and uh, the movie ride, Coincided at the same time, did they not?
1: The opening of, uh, of,
0: the great big movie ride, and alien encounter. That was, in other words, there were, there were two aliens on property at the same time.
1: Yes, right, right, right. So, so the great movie ride obviously opened in 1989, but it the, um, the Tomorrowland. Alien Encounter opened up in 1994. So yes, the alien did, you know, would have actually had to run back and forth between Tomorrowland and... (laughs) (laughs) So
0: the alien would have, like, won the half marathon and the marathon pretty handily.
1: But the thing that was interesting about this project was something that Disney was starting to do, which was they were bringing in outside talent. And you hear the name George Lucas to work on a project. You're like, well, this is obviously going to be solid gold. And he created... You know, he sort of helped to work on this original storyline of this excess tech open house um, and getting humans to be able to see this alien monster. And um, and there was a whole sort of different storyline in terms of uh, this alien having a being sort of an intelligent life form and wanting to escape its captors and free the guests who were actually captives as well. And they want to blow up the chamber and things like that. And it actually was a little bit more grim and foreboding, and even sort of the storyline was a little bit darker than even the eventual attraction ended up being.
0: Absolutely. The first time I saw it was in September of 95, so it was after Michael Eisner had deemed the ride a little too tame, and he decided to, to juice it up.
1: Yeah, so that was really the interesting thing about this. And as as I was saying at the introduction, the ride changed not just during its concept and development, but even after it opened. So it opened for soft previews in late December, around December 16th, 1994. But it closed like three weeks later because, again, this is according to legend, Michael Eisner said it was not intense enough. So he has this feeling like, hey, and and I think the the, the thought process at that time – Daniel, was that Disney needed to get a little edgy, right? They needed to sort of attract that, you know, 14 to 29-year-old or whatever that demographic is that they were looking for with something that was going to be a little bit scary, a little bit edgy, and something that, that, you know, to me the thing about this was it almost felt like sometimes it didn't fit into, you know, the whimsy and the fantasy and and the, the, the fairy tales of Magic Kingdom. And I think what happened, too, is... From a guest perspective, you know, they were going in and maybe didn't realize ahead of time how scary the attraction was going to be. Because the pre-show really didn't give you an idea of just how scary it was going to be. And eventually they put a warning outside saying, look, it's intense. And in fact, it's not even intended for kids under the age of 12, which, and I think you said it's polarizing. I think that is one of the reasons why people who, especially who are, are Disney nostalgics and Disney purists, felt, hey, the idea was, that, you know, that what Walt wanted. He wanted parents and kids to be able to ride together, and this is the place of fantasy, and this is the, the park specifically geared towards kids. Now you are specifically excluding kids, not by height for safety reasons, but, hey, it is going to be too scary for kids under 12.
0: Yeah, under 12, but my experience of, of uh, riding the attraction was that there were many kids under 12 who were yelling. And i it's impossible for me to to say, but I think that half of them were yelling, squealing in delight, and half of them were really scared.
1: Yeah, and I think it was. It was a very, very intense attraction. And as we start to sort of go through it, we'll, we'll explain why for anybody who never actually saw it. But the thing, too, was it closed in January, doesn't reopen till June, right about six months later it opens up and allegedly costs about fifteen million dollars to revise from what it was to what it ended up to what it was to what it ended up being so they're adding things that are a little bit more edgy, other things are sort starting, uh, starting to to pare down, and you know even sort of changing the timing of certain things because as people were screaming as people were yelling or whatever. They almost weren't able to follow the story because they weren't hearing some of uh, some of the show elements that were going on.
0: They mean that the the binaural audio wasn't working for them or they just weren't paying attention to it because they were upset. Or they scared. were yelling,
1: right? So the you know something happens that, that's that oh, I causes see. you to scream and then you're not hearing some of the audio that's being played because it's being drowned out by the screams of Tim Foster sitting next to you.
0: So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's right. I by the way, I have a longstanding uh tort with him about my hearing loss because that was me. <laughs> um it's funny that well, the Tower of Terror opened in ninety-four, right? Right. So that's a scary ride as well,
1: but it's not frightening. I, I, it's scary because I think of the drops. Not scary because as you're going through it, you have the fear that some giant alien is going to eat you,
0: right? <laughs> no, so it's not, a different. Yeah. It's
1: a different type of of a quote unquote fear factor. You know, it it's the ride system itself that scares you, not the subject matter. And I think that's what Alien Counter, that's what differentiated it. From anything else was because and look you know nothing changed in terms of the show building right the look the building that had housed flight to the moon a mission to mars was still those dual theaters i think a lot of people don't realize that there's actually two theaters that seat about 180 guests each so you know in a typical couple of hours you can you know you can get a lot of throughput on the attraction those didn't change other than what they added to the seats so it wasn't the fear of the ride system, you know, you go on something like California Screaming or the old Malibu, boomer, it was a fear of the height or whatever it is. Here, it was just a fear of the dark. It was the fear of the alien. It was a scary type of experience.
0: But, yes, and they set it up so well. In fact, I remember feeling, and it sounds silly as an adult, but I'm, I'm on your show, so I'm a kid at heart. That I had great empathy for Skippy. <laughs> I did. The poor little guy was um, being used uh, as an experiment, and you know, I think I think that the the uh, the epilogue, you know, the backstory. When you're, I think there are two rooms you go into before you are harnessed into your seat. And you're introduced to um, this corporation who might not have your best interests in mind and certainly don't have Skippy's best interests in mind. And I was like, oh, man, I, I feel for that little guy. <laughs> and I, I just really hope that what happened to Skippy doesn't have to happen to me.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the other thing, too, you know, I, I want to quickly touch on something else because we mentioned George Lucas, right? We mentioned this idea that Michael Eisner wanted to bring in big names. And it's not the first nor the last time it happened. Obviously, we start thinking about things like Captain EO with Lucas and Coppola and Michael Jackson and everything. But other big names are brought in as well. So it's directed by Jerry Reese, who was a visual effects supervisor on Tron, which at the time was a visionary, very, very high-tech film. And then even the cast of, of characters was not just using you know, relatively unknown actors. So you had people like Tyra Banks. She was in that first pre-show video, although it actually wasn't her voice. Her voice was actually dubbed by somebody else. Tim Curry was the voice of Sir in the second pre-show area. Originally, the character wasn't called Sir. It was Tom 2000, and it was voiced by Phil Hartman. Uh, And again, yeah, very, very short-lived. It was a little awkward. It was a bit of a more awkward kind of thing. it didn't work as well, and I, and I love sort of the voice of Tim Curry. Uh, Jeffrey Jones was Chairman Clench, Kathy Jimmy was Dr. Femus, and Kevin Pollack played Spinlock. So, relatively speaking, uh, a lot of A and maybe B-listers in that cast, but all names that were very recognizable. And that was something we started to see even in things like The Timekeeper, you know, where we bring in a big name like Robin Williams to help sell or help make that attraction more attractive. If that makes any sense,
0: definitely. They are. I mean, at the time, like Tim Curry was in Amadeus, I think, and uh, or maybe on Broadway, I'm not sure. But he was he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and um, uh, I think Ridley Scott actually cast him. He was in Legend too. So look, he's a scary look.
1: He's always going to be Pennywise the clown from It for me. So the guy's always going to (laughs) freak me out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. But, I, I mean, the voices were awesome. And, I mean, the, the irony is, and I what I loved about, one of the many things I loved about the ride is that it was Disney, in a way, sort of poking fun at itself a little bit. Right. That it, there is this huge corporation who takes uh, cozy, cuddly, fuzzy little animals and does things with them. In, in in you know in the uh, in the name of science or in the name of your enjoyment and Skippy's like it's interesting that Clench and Skippy what happens to them like what's their resolution
1: <laughs> you want to know like you really you really do sympathize I know with I do. Poor Skippy
0: <laughs> you know what I, I think that you told me before that Skippy was at your house so I think you bought him on eBay and he lives with you. <laughs>
1: The uh, Before we sort of get through, uh, and I, and I want to sort of go through the attraction for those who maybe don't remember or did, never got a chance to see it. The other thing about this attraction that I, as a, a geeky kid, who did like a little bit of that sense that it was something different, right? And, and sometimes I did feel like, wow, this doesn't necessarily feel very Disney-ish because it was so dark, although it did have some humor, was it? But the technology in the attraction was something that always intrigued me right and that the idea that it was more interactive more much more immersive really came into not the theater itself but really these the harnesses that came down on you that was really i think one of the better examples of the 4D technology because and one of the things that scared people you know in a in a good exciting kind of way was as you heard and felt this alien walking around not only did your harness come down but you felt this hot moist breath on the back of your neck or you felt that tongue or at one point what was purporting to be sort of a splatter of blood um, which again was, was kind of dark but you talk about a, a an immersive 4d type of experience um, that's one of the things this you know that you definitely would have to applaud the attraction for having in it
0: Totally, because your eye I mean it was pitch dark, and all you had were um, the quote unquote less uh, used senses, which are um, your sense of uh, your sense of touch and your sense of sound and the I think it was the best it was the first best effective binaural experience at Walt Disney World and it was almost it was
1: almost as scary as sounds dangerous so
0: (laughs) oh my goodness oh blasphemy blasphemy I kid because
1: I love I kid because I love
0: but it was really scary because most of the like the heart of the ride you're in the dark um, and something horrible has gone wrong
1: And that's what and that's what freaked a lot of people out. So let's let's sort of let's go through it, right? Because there was there was a lot of really cool things about it. So there was multiple pre shows that we said before. So when you first get into that interplanetary convention center, and actually, if you listen to the old TTA narration, you could hear them talking about it. You were getting this demonstration from this corporation known as XS Tech. Uh, Chairman Clench comes out and. You already start to get a sense that there's something a little shady about this guy. But he talks about this motto, this philosophy that if it can't be done with XS, s, then it shouldn't be done at all. Uh, one thing you should note about this area of the pre-show was the music. There was actually 12 original pieces composed there specifically for that attraction by George Wilkins now he's not maybe as recognizable of a name as maybe a, a Richard Sherman but he wrote so much music for the Disney parks like the Country Bears uh, Christmas special horizons living seas great movie ride cosmic rays living with the land food rocks test track the safaris tough to be a bug I mean he, journey to imagination he wrote a ton of music and actually a lot of the music from the lobby area was beautiful and if you really, if you, I don't know if you remember, Daniel, they had um, a lot of TV monitors overhead that talked about other things that were going on at the convention center. And this is one of the things that that I totally dug because there was a lot of sort of synergy and overlap. So they talked about yes, not just the excess Tech demonstrations, but uh, a show called Mister Mission to Mars: History or Hoax, which is a tribute to the previous <laughs> attraction, uh, a, tra- a championship pet show. And the Walt Disney Company's Pan Galactic Stockholders Meeting, and that was really cool because it was a transmission from Lunar Disneyland, the happiest place off Earth. So I like the fact <laughs> that they sort of, you know, add a little bit of, of humor into that uh, into the pre-show area as well.
0: Totally, I, I remember that very well, and I actually uh, I was the head of my uh, high school's investment club, and the first stock I bought. In 1987 was D.I.S. Disney, so I feel in a way, unfortunately, <laughs> like the, the 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 corporate bad guys who work for X.S. Although my heart was in a good place.
1: <laughs> so it's in the uh, in the second pre-show area, which had sort of like three somewhat raised rows that overlooked uh, and auto-animatronics areas, and that's where we first met SIR, which stood for Simulated Intelligence Robotics. Again, originally, that was TOM2000. That stood for Technobotic Oratorical Mechanism Series 2000. Say that three times fast. And that was Phil Hartman from Saturday Night Live. I almost said Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Phil Hartman, eventually, uh, like we said, George, replaced George by, uh, <laughs> by Tim uh, Curry. And he talks about... The practically painless teleportation using that poor sweet little animatronic alien named Skippy. They do a, a brief uh, uh, demonstration of the teleportation and poor Skippy shows up charred and disoriented and, you know, just from going across the room. You know there's something wrong with the technology. You know something bad is definitely going to happen uh, as things progress.
0: Yeah, he goes from essentially being Lou Mangiello to being Tim Bananas Foster. <laughs> he's really confident. He's like, rrr, 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 rrr. he's have, that was a, Was that a decent Foster imitation? That was
1: the worst Foster ever. It, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so you Sorry, go Tim. into uh, you eventually go into one of the two theaters, and if you remember, you know the same way it is now for Stitch's Great Escape. It is that circular chamber with. Uh, guest seated in, you know, multiple rows um, that, you know, in- increase by height where you have these um, uh, harnesses that come down, these sort of pneumatic harness- harnesses that come down on you. This is where we first meet Spinlock, who's Kevin Pollack, and Dr. Femus, Kathy Najimity, f- from Sister Act, is, is being the only thing I could sort of remember her from. And they're supposed to initially have a single guest is going to be chosen to be teleported out of the chamber for a meeting with Chairman Clench. That's going to be the demonstration of the technology. Instead, Clench changes things around and says, you know what, I'm seized by inspiration. I'm going to teleport myself into the chamber to meet the entire group. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, There's a change of plans. The signal's diverted through some unknown planet. And as a result, the thing that that is beamed into this giant tube in the center of the room is this ginormous, winged, like, scary-looking, meat-eating alien, and obviously, you know, panic begins to ensue, and the creature escapes. And that's when, you know, all of a sudden, the power goes out, and bang, like, we're all... You know, thrown into complete darkness and that's somewhat unsettling for a guest that may have just come off it's a small world you know what
0: I mean <laughs> absolutely it is really scary um, and the one thing I'll say is that it's strange one of the reasons I like the ride is it's sophistication that Clench Clench is not a moral dude and you know that from his treatment of Skippy and it's almost sort of um, – you're almost proud of him for taking a chance in the name of science because, I I mean, I might have read a little too much into this, i.e. I did. But that maybe Clench, because of his guilt about poor Skippy, is like I should – I sh- what happened to Skippy should happen to me. That it's not hubris. It's more sort of uh, – I don't, I don't like who I am. Get rid of me, and it happens. And in his place is a monster.
1: You're so deep, Daniel. Like that's heavy, man. I... <laughs> used, Dude, like, I <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever used the word hubris on the show before.
0: So... <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't think use is lubris.
1: <laughs> so as as unsettling as the power going out might have been. I think one of the reasons why people potentially got freaked out by the attraction was you hear and you see sort of a light being shown around from a maintenance worker who's trying to get the power back on. But you actually hear him sort of, you know, forgive, there's no other way to describe it. He is mauled by the alien, right? And they're screaming <laughs> yeah. around the room and you feel this spray of warm fluid like onto your face. So you could do the math, you know what that's supposed to be, and your seat is rumbling and it's shaking, and you feel the alien, like, flying or walking behind you, and you feel the breath on your neck, like, you feel like you're the only person, and it really is something, like, going on right behind you. It, it, the first time that you explore, the first 50 times you experience it, it's very, you know, freakish, because you also don't have that sense that I can get up and walk out. I am now, like, strapped in here, there is no escape. So there's a sense of, you know, potential claustrophobia for some people too.
0: Right, theater in the round. I saw the attraction was when, it, or I saw Mission to Mars, which I love and miss uh, nostalgically. I thought that was just sort of seminal in in uh, for Disney World. But I love I loved Alien uh, Encounter, and I want it back.
1: Well, I think, you know, so, and look, and obviously, you know, eventually things a- end up okay and everybody is, uh, you know, guests are released from their seats and, you know, okay, All goodbye. Right. Everything went just, you know, and there's, they go back to look for Chairman Clench. Um, you know, the, the alien does not necessarily, um, you know, although he goes back into the into the teleportation tube, it does not end well for him either. Um, but nobody seems to be too sad <laughs> about how the alien, you uh, know, uh, Ended his uh, his accidental trip to Earth.
0: No, but hold on, Lou. The alien also. I mean, I, I perhaps I've overanalyzed this, which obviously I have. But the alien didn't ask to be transported. You know, <laughs> he was taken from his country to Disney World, and then he got then he got into trouble because. But it, but he didn't.
1: He was just misunderstood. That's all. He was just he misunderstood. Was
0: mis- he could have been in his, on his planet. He could have been a very
1: charming gentleman. <laughs> you really have thought way too much about this attraction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, so the attractions, fear factor notwithstanding, I, you know, I think that you definitely need to talk about the special effects, right? Because they were extremely powerful. I think Michael Eisner got what he want because that combination of the, you know, blinding of the sense of sight, right? You're in total darkness and then you're the auditory senses that are really heightened at that point and those, uh, the binaural speakers that have, that were sort of put near each ear, that with the Foley effects and the positional audio and all the things that created... I mean, we talk about story, Dan, and we talk about immersive experiences. You want to talk about creating an atmosphere of tension and fear. And you hear the screams that are, not, are, that are real screams from other people in that theater. And the way the theater is... you know Because it's not people just sitting in front of you and sitting behind you. It's, it is that theater in the round... Um, you know, it, it's a very sort of powerful effect and it, it, it doesn't carry over obviously as, as um, intensely in Stitch's Great Escape, but, you know, the size of the speakers and the way that they used it and that early use of this 4D technology with the water sprinklers and the air blasters and the heaters and things like that to give all those different effects, um, you know, direct physical and more ambient – You know, you kind of got the sense sometimes like that. They're really, I'm the one guy in the theater that the alien is behind, and he is literally licking the back of my ear.
0: Totally true. And I can't (laughs) believe you used the S word during uh, this podcast. What'd I say? Which is, you said (laughs) Stitch. And I got to tell you something that a friend of mine, I have never uh, partially had a protest, but I've never been on. Um the 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 subsequent ride, um Stitch's Great Escape. But a friend of mine, uh Carolyn Adams, who's a young girl, was on it and was instructed by her father, Richard, to pretend vomit to get off the ride because they were about to miss their reservation at Cinderella's castle.
1: Well, and we're gonna we'll talk about Stitch because I think we should. And look. I think you need to go and experience Stitch's Great Escape more than one time, right? I think you need to be able to judge for yourself. And I say this all the time. You know, there are things that I really like about Stitch's Great Escape in terms of the animatronics and the technology and the 4D. Do I think that the story could be a little stronger? Absolutely. Um, But remember, too, Stitch's Great Escape. I'm sure, it's somebody's favorite attraction, and, and, and I respect them for that, and just because it may not be my favorite attraction, it doesn't mean that other people won't like it as much, but I think, you know, I, I felt that Alien Encounter was, it was smart, right? It, it was smart, and I think that, you know, sort of going to your point, you know, it was very, it it, it did have this sort of morality play kind of sense to it about you know corporate ambition and and greed and and things like that and and how it ends up leading to the downfall and that may have gone over a lot of people's heads right and you know maybe it was a little heavy and a little deep and only Daniel Roberts is is doing his master's thesis on you know the morality of <laughs> alien encounter um but I, you know I think that's maybe what started to lead to its demise right I, there probably was not unless you if you weren't scared or you were not freaked out about it or you did it liked sort of um this this tale that was being told there it was not you know there was never like a huge line for it right you know i think there are some people who probably were not only disliked it but probably were were and I mean this, like, they were shocked because they were did not know what to expect, right? So if you do bring, you know, a kid in there not knowing, like, oh, Alien Encounter, this is Disney World, how scary could it possibly be? Um, you know, that could have been one of those things, and obviously Stitch's Great Escape is, is a much different type of attraction in terms of tone. Is it as sophisticated and deep in terms of the the, the story about, you know, uh, corporate downfall, no, but is it more fun? Is it more relatable? Is it more accessible? A- absolutely.
0: Well, it, it, yes, it is. But that said, that alien encounter, it starts off with a lovable character who is Skippy, who Lou has adopted and was <laughs> <laughs> kidnapped and whatever else. Um, but it, it starts off with a lovable character who has been who's being unfairly treated. And what's interesting and sort of brilliant is you expect that lightness to uh, continue into the second showroom and then the ride. And it doesn't because it's more about clench and the alien. And you have, when the alien is unleashed, you're on your own. Skippy can't help you. Disney can't help you. No one can help you until you're helped. I just found that to be um, wonderful and challenging. And I would actually argue with you that Tower of Terror has a similar theme in that you're on your own. You've chosen this circumstance and Dizzy's going to indulge you. You've chosen to be in this sort of creepy place and there's a backstory. Um, There are two rooms that introduce you to the story but wait, wait. And but,
1: but wait. But the difference is before you even get close to Tower of Terror, you know exactly what's going on inside because you're going to look up and hear those screams, watch that door open and know that that elevator drops. When you walked into Alien Counter, you really didn't know what to expect. There was no sort of – and if you use the pre-show as a barometer – you were sort of like expecting something that was much cute, like, oh, look at cute little Skippy and the fat little robot, like, this is going to be a nice little attraction, <laughs> and there's a potential that you will get eaten by a winged, you know, carnivorous alien.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> there is also, though, but you, I mean, Clench is a a, a, a bad guy, and uh, SIR, is his voice is, is menacing, and Excess is probably not the best sort of acronym. So there are hints, but the subtlety about the ride I love. And I know it's not for everyone, um, but you know what my wife said tonight? She said there was a sign up that said, if you are uh, under 12, there could be some disturbing stuff. So it's up to you to decide.
1: Right. Right. And... and and I don't think that was there initially. I think that's something that they felt the need to add because they realized you know what this ride is not going to be you know look if I would my kids right now are eight and ten, if I took them into alien encounter uh, this my the psychotherapy bills I would have to endure <laughs> I might as well rent out their rooms because they would never sleep by themselves ever again, certainly not in the dark um All right. but well
0: you know, it, it, you know, so it affected that, me as well so. <laughs>
1: And, and, if, and I know you sort of mentioned before about not knowing the fate of Skippy. This is somewhat of a spoiler alert since you've never been on, but I actually can tell you what happens to Skippy because you do hear about him in Stitch's Great Escape.
0: Oh, God. What happens?
1: So if um, in the pre-show of Stitch, if you pay very close attention, he is actually referred to as a level one criminal who was arrested for jaywalking between the moons of Jupiter. So you know at least, you know that he survived, Daniel, so you can, you know, you can sleep with a smile on your face knowing that there's a hope for a a Skippy plush still in your face. I
0: know, but Louis J. Mangello, then he's become, (laughs) uh, he's become a felon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so the attraction eventually closes uh, on October 12th of 2013, so... I think, you know, relatively speaking, uh, a short-lived attraction in terms of normal longevity uh, of Disney uh, attractions. And look, you're not alone, right? I I think you are not alone in your love for Alien Encounter. I think there was a... um, There's definitely still a following of Alien Encounter fans. And look, you can go to eBay and and look and see how much Alien Encounter merchandise you can still find there that is being sort of traded and bought and sold all the time. Because they did, you know, look, they did make... Alien Encounter merch, surprise, surprise. You know, they made a Skippy doll. They made a burnt and a non-burnt doll. They made a fur uh, <laughs> action figure. And they made um, the alien. They made the an alien action figure that was, you know, blue and, and green and yellow and things like that. And even looking at the action figure itself, you know, that was kind of scary. Like, there's nothing cuddly. Like, Stitch is, you know, Stitch is an alien... And he's cute and cuddly for a lot of people. This alien, not so much.
0: Yeah, well, he's, but he's, the, the point is that he's supposed to be, He's been, as again, he's been taken from his planet. He's in Disney <laughs> <Sympathetic>. World.
1: <laughs> <the> sympath- <laughs> I, I love how you're making the alien a sympathetic figure.
0: <laughs> but, but, you know, the alien also, like, we, don't, we can't speak his language. We just know he's dangerous and, and he wants to, he potentially wants to eat us. Right. Right? Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess a question to be asked is this. Would you rather have uh, Alien Encounter back or Mission to Mars?
1: That might be the question for the listeners. So if you could have any attraction that, that once occupied this building return, in lieu of Stitch's Great Escape, what would it be? Flight to the Moon, Mission to Mars, or Alien Encounter? I will tell you that my answer would probably be no. See, I'm a nostalgic. I'm a nostalgic, so I'm probably going to say don't. Don't do it. Don't. Do I have it. to because I, I think about Mission to Mars. And look, as a kid, man, I bought into that. Like, I remember the screens on the floor and the screens on the ceiling, the seats rumbling, and I really believed in my little tiny, you know, miniature heart of hearts, like, that that this attraction was taking me somewhere else. And I remember the poor bird on the, the, you know, that that got caught, you know. (laughs) Like, those, so, and maybe it is more nostalgia than anything else, but I, I probably, and I think those attractions are much more – and I'm thinking about the average guest, mom, dad, and the two-and-a-half kids. Those attractions are much more accessible than Alien Encounter was.
0: Is it two-and-a-half because the alien ate the other half the third (laughs) kid?
1: You and your sympathetic – so did you know they were actually supposed to put an Alien Encounter in Disneyland as part of the Disney decade? It was supposed to be part of this whole Tomorrowland 2055 um, project – It was going to be obviously in the same place that Mission to Mars used to be. Uh, Timekeeper was supposed to go over there as well. But uh, after Disneyland Paris opened and they had to cut a lot of budgets, that whole Tomorrowland 2055 project was scrapped. Um, But obviously, and I'm sure you know this because I'm sure you'd go and visit to pay homage and tribute to. Where else in Walt Disney World can you or could you once find references to the alien encounter, either currently or previously.
0: Uh, Space Mountain.
1: So, at one point in the the uh, Space Mountain footage, the pre-show, right, the the pre-ride, the TVs, they talked about uh, references to excess tech. Where else?
0: Right. Uh, oh
1: gosh let's see oh so you some super fan you are all right so over oh come at- <laughs> on I got Space Mountain right <laughs> Over at Disney Quest uh, they have invasion an extraterrestrial alien encounter sort of attraction there although it has nothing really to do with uh, the tomorrowland ride they do sort of talk about that excess tech mythology and, and philosophy and things like that And for speaking of short-lived attractions, Super Stitches Supersonic Celebration, which, ra- which ran from, like, May to June, like, literally six weeks in 2009, they referenced XS Tech and Sir because they were sort of trying to create this entire Tomorrowland story. And obviously I talked about the uh, Skippy being over in Stitches Great Escape. And there's obviously, you know, props and, and things in there as well. You might every now and then find a little reference to an Excess Tech logo uh, somewhere. In there as well. So, um, you know, I, I wonder, Daniel, for those people who are listening who got to see Alien Encounter, I wonder if people miss it, right? Do people miss Alien Encounter with the same sense of nostalgia and, um, you know, attention that they do things like Horizons and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and, you know, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? You know, Alien encounters not normally lumped into those discussions of attractions that we miss, right? Are there people, and I'm sure there are lots, that prefer Stitch's Great Escape? Maybe because Alien Encounter was too scary. You know, but I wonder, other than you, are there other people that fondly miss the attraction? And I'm sure there are. I'm not questioning it. I'm not certainly, you know, I respect the fact that you love it as much as you do when you have your little shrine to Skippy in the corner of your bedroom. <laughs> but I wonder, and I'm curious, and I'm asking the listeners, who else, you know, who else really misses that attraction? And, and what is it? What is the thing that you miss? And let me. so, I'll, Daniel, I'll ask you, we we talk about the attraction, we used l- words like frightening and, and scary and intense and things like that. Could another scary attraction like that make it in Walt Disney World? Could something like that come back into Magic Kingdom and fit appropriately, whether it be in Tomorrowland or somewhere else?
0: I hope so. You know why? Because it was theatrical and it was artful. And I don't think it was unfairly scary, meaning I don't really, I don't think that people were sort of blindsided by the monster. I think that it was wonderfully set up for a single, amazing, dramatic event, which is the monster escaping and all the special effects, the 4D. Um, The monster was tamed. You leave, but when I saw it, uh, when I uh, was on the attraction, I was... Gosh, it was nineteen ninety five, and I remember just hugging the girl I was with. It was like, We made it, we did it, it's awesome. <laughs> and it was but it's great. It's it's you know, there's an adrenaline high after that.
1: And I wonder, thinking back to what Alien Encounter was supposed to be, the real Alien from the Sigourney Weaver film, you know, I wonder, do you think that is something? Do you think that original concept would have played better? than the original creation that Disney created with with you know Skippy and things like that? Or do you think using a property that already existed and, and was popular and had that alien franchise and that alien name and that recognizable, you know, Geiger monster, do you think that potentially would have been a better fit?
0: Um I don't because then people would have known what to expect. Uh it's almost like how the, the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland and Tokyo Sea um, while it references Indi- the, the Indiana Jones franchise, you don't really know what's going to happen. But I, I think that the, if it's the alien ride itself, that's, that's best for uh, Hollywood Studios slash MGM back in the day. So I, I would say no. I think that alien encounters should be resurrected as it was. Bring back Skippy from Lou's house, and <laughs> Skippy, I love you. And uh, let's get it. Let's get it going.
1: Interesting. Well, I would love to hear from those people who are listening, and I'm and I'm curious to hear passionate conversation one way or the other. Do you miss it? Did you love it? Did you not like it? Did you did it give your kids nightmares or you nightmares? Please come by the show notes, go to wdwradio.com. click on this week's podcast, leave a comment there. Daniel and I will definitely watch that and respond as well or go to facebook.com slash WDW Radio. You can post on the Facebook page and keep the conversation going there. Daniel, I really do appreciate you coming on once again. You've always been so generous in the past with your donations to Make-A-Wish, sort of winning your way onto the top tens. It was great to have you on to join me for this DSI on an attraction that you are clearly very, very passionate about.
0: Lou, thank you. I am... uh a huge fan and a huge friend and uh i do love alien encounter (laughs) i'm (laughs) i guess i'm the only one but anyway you are the best and i so appreciate uh you having me on once again
1: it is uh it is great to have you back really appreciate it thank you i tried to think of a memorable line from alien encounter and and i got nothing
0: how about, uh... <laughs> Ow!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Carnivorous, it eats meat. It's uh, my weather. Right. Are, are my... we... I don't know. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history, see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see and maybe even to what you hear, then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week I was talking to you about the universe of energy, and I said that when Ellen and Bill are in the helicopter... Ellen asks Bill for a certain very unusual item, which was what? That's great, Bill, but we still need a heck of a lot more energy. Where's it coming from? And do you have a curling iron? And as you can hear, the answer is curling iron. So again, congratulations to all of you who paid very close attention, got this one correct. You are all playing for copies of all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, which you can find in iTunes or over at wdwradio.com. A copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and a signed copy of my Walt Disney World Trivia Book, Volume 2. And last week's winner is Darren Vasquez. So, Darren, send me your address. I'll get your package at you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next opportunity to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, this week, let's see once again how well you pay attention to not just what you see, but what you hear. Because tell me, where in Walt Disney World have you heard this phrase? And for him, 100 years of torture in my deepest dungeon. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, June 1st to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, you're playing for all six of the audio tours, a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and a mystery vinylmation. So good luck and have fun that's going to do it for this week's show thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week also want to give big thanks to all of you who posted such wonderful reviews of my new book 102 ways to save money for and at Walt Disney World on Amazon and into iTunes JCH said, Great tips for saving money for first-timers and seasoned pros. It's a good read and informative. Imagine all the extra dole whips I can buy with my saved money. Tom B. said, It's honestly one of the best books about Walt Disney World I've ever read. Great ideas and highly recommended. And NJ Baritone said, Over the years, Lou Mangello has turned me from just a Disney lover to a full-fledged Disney expert. People often come to me with questions about their upcoming vacations. And now the first book I recommend is 102 Ways to Save Money. Some of the tips can be applied to any kind of travel, while others are real gems that even many frequent park goers may not know. My tip, download the e-version and take it to the parks with you, and I recommend the electronic version on PDF, Kindle, iBooks, Nook, or Kobo, because there there's links to videos podcasts, websites, and other resources that you can't get in the print version. Again, to find out more, to order the book, you can visit Disney102.com. Be sure and also visit our YouTube channel and subscribe over at YouTube.com slash WDW Radio. Lots of new videos this week, including a sneak peek and an Imagineer tour of the brand new Club Disney and changes coming to Disney's Polynesian Village Resort. I also have a one-on-one interview with Ken Potrock, who talks to us about a lot of the changes coming to the Polynesian, including things like the bungalows and a place to get nothing but Dole Whips over at the Pineapple Lanai. Again, for more videos and to subscribe, visit youtube.com slash WDW Radio. So don't forget that in addition to this podcast, which you can subscribe to over on iTunes, by visiting wdwradio.com, you can check out our multiple daily blog posts by our team of incredible riders. We've got photo galleries, new videos, our newsletter, the free WDW Radio app, and so much more. Visit the event events page to find out about upcoming meets of the month in Walt Disney World and on the road. Speaking of which, thanks to everybody who braved the elements and the traffic to come out to Atlanta. This past week, we had a great time over at the Nook. The next meet of the month is going to be Saturday, June 7th in Walt Disney World during Star Wars Weekends. Visit the events page for more information and details. Also, throughout the month of June, I'll be traveling. I'll be speaking at June 12th and 13th over at Mousekameets.com in Roanoke, Virginia. If you visit Mousekameets.com and use the code WDWRADIO, you can save 10% on your tickets there. I'll be going back to the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet on Saturday, June 28th. And then in August, don't forget about the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream and our pre-cruise Neverland and Sea event at the Atlantic Dance Hall. Tickets are available now. They are very, very limited and going fast. Going to have a lot of fun in the afternoon. Bring the whole family to the Neverland and Sea event. These and all the other events can be found right on the events page over at WDWRadio.com. Also, to find out other places that I'll be speaking, including conferences like Podcast Movement in August, and to book me to either speak at your conference, to your school, or to your business, you can visit loumangelo.com. Be sure and connect with me over on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello and Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello is my personal profile. You can follow me there or visit the WDW Radio Facebook page. Discuss the show there over at Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. If you have a question you want answered on the air, you can email me at Lou at WDW Radio.com. And now there's two ways to be heard on the air to leave a voicemail. You can call 407 900 9391. Say hello from the parks or ask a question. Or by visiting the website, you can click on the box on the right hand side of the screen. Use your computer's microphone. Leave me a voicemail right from the website as well. Big thanks to my partners and sponsors, MouseFan Travel is my official and recommended provider because it's who I use. So whether you're coming out to Walt Disney World with us on one of our group events or going out to Disneyland or Adventures by Disney, wherever it may be, visit MouseFanTravel.com. You get all available discounts, the best possible prices. Most importantly, it's at no additional cost to you and with an incredible level of personal service that you won't find anywhere else. Again, MouseFanTravel.com. And if you want a little bit of Disney magic delivered right to your door, visit celebrationspress.com to find out how to subscribe and order back issues of Celebrations magazine. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word, let others know about it, tweet out that you're listening, share it on Facebook or Twitter, and please rate and review the show over on iTunes. It is very, very helpful. Also, quick reminder: I am still in the process of ...of selling and sharing because I want them to go to good homes. A lot of my Disney collection and Star Wars collection, a lot of Star Wars stuff coming up, especially with Star Wars weekends going on. Visit www.radio.com slash eBay to find out this week's auctions. They usually begin and end on Sunday nights and uh, hopefully parts of my collection that have been sitting in boxes for years can go to a good home like yours. And finally, and most importantly... I want to say thank you once again to each and every one of you individually for taking the time to tune in each and every week and for sending me emails and coming to meets and tweeting at me and whatever it may be. I appreciate it so much because I am like you. I am a Disney fan at heart and being able to share my love and passion for Disney with you in so many different ways means so very much to me and I am so grateful and I want you to do what you love each and every day as well. So just remember that you're never going to start anything if you say you're going to start tomorrow. Take your first step today. Take little steps however small they may be and you'll you believe it or not, you'll get closer to your goal and doing what you love each and every day faster than you think. Thank you all so so very much. So until next time, have a great week everybody. See ya. Hey Lou, it's Chris Bannis calling. Just wanted to leave you a quick message and tell you what a wonderful job you continue to do in all your endeavors. And hopefully you'll get to Chicago by next year so we can finally meet and I can finally get my hug. Um, also hoping for a trip to Walt Disney World, hope, 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 hopefully in 2015. So we have a date for sushi, right? All right, you take care. Bye.
0: Oh, Lou. Uh, this is that uh, techie91 by the way I turn 41 tomorrow yay so I wanna come I want to hurry up and come back down there where I started <clears throat> I was a cast member in 92 and 93 in the uh, college program and like I told you I worked in um, Tomorrowland and also worked at uh, Blizzard Beach and I'm just dying to get back down there, just as financial problems and the price of the tickets are a little bit steep right now. So, if I get to come down there I want to hang out, um that'd be cool. But I just want to let, let you know about that. Thanks, man. Peace. Hello. Uh, it's me, Ashley. I just wanted to tell you that tomorrow's my birthday! Yay, for me! I'll be turning the big 23, so please tell me and tell me. how a nice day. Bye. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.